0: You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the gay Florida man podcast. This is episode 29. This is a special episode. We'll have our normal episode on Wednesday. But we're bringing this to you tonight because it's kind of on a time schedule. I'm going to be talking to Tim Laws from the Prop Store, and they have the most incredible auction coming up on November 3rd through November 6th. And if you know anything about me, Mark, the gay Florida man, you realize that I collect movie props and wardrobe from horror movies. And one of my go-tos for over 20 years has been the prop store. A lot of the stuff that I have in my collection has been from the prop store, and they've been great to deal with, and they've supplied a lot of my collection with unbelievable props. So this auction coming up, you are not going to believe some of the most incredible pieces that are coming up. And I'm going to be talking with Tim about a lot of these different artifacts, We're talking about pieces that are the unbelievable grail items that most people only dream of. Freddy's claw, Jason's machete, Jason's hockey mask, Freddy's fedora, Michael Myers mask. And in some cases, they have multiple copies from different films of these props coming up for auction. Again, it is November 3rd through November 6th on thepropstore.com. Now, if you're not into this hobby and you're wondering what this is all about, let me just read to you about the history of the Prop Store. And I'm going to be reading this directly from their website. In 1998, Prop Store founder Stephen Lane's love for movies led him to begin hunting for the same props and costumes that were used to create his favorite films. He found that he could not only provide collectors with access to their most coveted pieces, but also establish archival standards for this new pop-culture hybrid of fine art and memorabilia collecting, pop art. Once Stephen assembled his dream team of like-minded movie fanatics, Prop Store set out like a band of movie archaeologists, looking to locate, research, and preserve the treasure troves of important artifacts that hid in dark, sometimes forgotten corners, all over the world. Now, more than 19 years later, the prop hobby and prop store are thriving. With over 30 employees between our offices in London and in Los Angeles, with over 25,000 combined square feet of archived props and costumes, we've become the busiest and most trusted authority in the hobby. Thinking of starting your own collection? Give us a call or email and we'll arrange a tour through one of our incredible galleries so that you can see the limitless possibilities that await. The reality of owning an authentic prop or costume from your favorite movie could be just a call or click away. That pretty much sums it up. The magic of movies could be in your living room. It could be in your man cave. So November 3rd through November 6th, Right now, let's just jump into the interview with Tim Laws. The props that we're going to be talking about in this particular episode, you can see really incredible photographs of these props on the Gay Florida Man podcast Facebook page, Twitter page, and Instagram page. So make sure you check out some of the pictures because you're going to be mesmerized and you're going to be looking at that credit card thinking it can take the hit. But once you realize some of the prices that we're talking about, it is an expensive hobby and it's very popular but they also if you look at the catalog on the website as you flip through it further back in the catalog there are some incredible pieces that you and i could obtain so you're going to be bidding against me i don't know if i should even put this podcast on the air because you know what now that i think about it this is a really stupid idea oh hell with it i told tim i'd publish it so let's go ahead And let's talk to Tim. Here he is. The prop store, you guys have been around for over uh, 1998 is when um, uh, Stephen got involved with that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, 1998 was the year the company was formed. Mm -hmm. Um, Stephen was a
1: one-man band back then doing his thing. I joined in 2000 and I've been here ever since. Wow. Um, But Stephen was a collector and sort of, you know, a trader of props and costumes, sort of from the early 90s, really. I think it's sort of 92, 93 is when he really sort of started seriously collecting this stuff and quickly realized it could be a business. So um, here we are 22 years later, 24 years later, Prop Store Uh is the biggest and uh, one of the best. And um, we have a lot of fun doing this stuff. We're all enthusiasts. We all, most of us are collectors. We're all film fans. There's 25 people working here and
0: like 40 people in Los Angeles. And here we are. It's fantastic fun. I look at Stephen kind of like Indiana Jones. He kind of found the, the best of the best from around the world regarding film props, wardrobe, and artifacts related to film.
1: And that's certainly how we like to think about it, because we really do have to track this stuff down. And we have traveled all over the world looking for it. And some of these leads can take years, even decades to bear fruit. So that is definitely true. Although I would definitely point out that Stephen does not look like Harrison Ford in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I think
0: he's a lot more dapper than Harrison Ford myself. As we get older, we'll get a bit more sophisticated. I think that's what it is. Well, you guys definitely sound very, very articulate.
1: I mean, ultimately, Mark, we we just love this stuff. Um, And if we could keep it all, if we could afford to keep it all, we probably would. (laughs) It has become a business. It is a business we're passionate about. But we are all collectors. I have a collection at home. Stephen has a collection at home. Most of the guys here have pieces at home. It is born out of a love of what we do. There's no two ways.
0: Can I ask you, Tim, what is your favorite pieces that you have? Your grail pieces, as they call my favorite movie is the princess
1: bride and and i have um the dread pirate Roberts sword in my collection and i've had that for over 20 years now and that is without doubt my favorite prop i'm also a big clint eastwood fan okay i have the original poster artwork for high plains drifter which is beautiful it's beautiful and that takes pride of place as well there's a few other things but i think if i had
0: to sort of boil it down to a couple of pieces those would be the two Okay. I'm going to ask you a few questions, if it's okay, before we get into these awesome pieces that you have displayed. As far as the authenticity process that the prop store goes through to find out, can you talk a little bit about that for people that do not do this, who might have an interest in collecting movie props and wardrobe? What is that like, that authentication process to show validity that these are the actual items used during the production?
1: Yeah, it's a very necessary process. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is a quick thing to do. Sometimes something will obviously match on screen or the paperwork is just airtight or it's a very well-known piece. But that said, we still check each and every item that we can. Every single piece gets looked at. We do research and that would be the number one thing to say any collector, whether you're a new collector or you're a seasoned collector, it's all about research. Do your research. Don't take anybody's word for anything. We've had pieces in from you know directors and producers, and even they get it wrong. Their memories, they misremember something, and we have to check it. And then we usually they're right, but sometimes they're not. We just check everything we can. Every every um, element of uh, the history we look into. And then we, of course, back everything up with our COA. The uh, prop store offers a lifetime money back guarantee uh, with everything it sells, including everything in this auction. So most auction houses don't do that. So we stand behind everything we sell. And I think that's a, 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 an important thing to understand. But even then, I would say you you still have to do your own research. Don't take our word for it. You know. Do your own research do your own checking and, and and people do and we get extra snippets of information all the time especially when the catalogues released there's uh, always conversations about you know refining uh, refining the information making sure it's correct because these are becomes part of the historical record of each piece so it is is vital that the information is accurate of course that's
0: awesome can you tell me the difference between screen used screen matched and production used with the coas that i see Different wording is used. You guys have gotten a lot of my money through the years, and I, <laughs> so I can look back at the COAs I've gotten from different items I've purchased from the props store. Sure, sure. So,
1: screen used is, is a very um, generic term, and it's it's not one I generally use for, for us. Really, it's production made or it's screen matches. To say something is, is screen used is, is kind of an arbitrary thing to say. It's either been made for the production and you can't specifically identify it on screen, or it is something that's made for production and you can specifically identify it on screen. And for me, they're the only two, two categories. Screen matched is when you can uniquely identify something on the prop or the costume which matches on screen. It's not a poster that looks the same or a costume that looks the same. It is something that is unique to that piece. So it might be wood grain it might be a bullet hit or a blood stain or it might be um, a hair on a head it could be stitching on a costume the way a pattern on a dress meets the stitching from the other part of the dress so where it meets it it forms a unique new pattern so mm-hmm. it's things like that we look at bobbles on fabrics you know um, markings and scuffs on leather uh, rust is another really good one anything that's natural a natural product is, is a very easy thing to uniquely match and it doesn't happen as often as you think it might you know you, we can buy in a production directly from, from the studio directly from the people who made the film it's remarkable how how little of That stuff you can um, actually screen match, but you know it's all original, you know it's all from the production because we've obtained it directly. That's what most collectors are looking for. They're they're really looking for that That trumps any COA, that trumps any research. If you can screen match
0: it, that is kind of the ultimate um, authentication for, for your prop right okay
1: a right, right. long-winded explanation
0: I love it I know the, the more details the better the more informed people are and I think you'll get more people interested in this um collection of course I'm shooting myself in the foot by getting <laughs> other people into this because I want these pieces as well <laughs> uh,
1: I, I'm the same too Obviously, I don't bid in our own auction but at the same time <laughs> great fun to see this stuff and, and handling it is almost as good as own, owning it you know it's we see some amazing artifacts come through prop store and uh, just seeing some of this stuff in person is, is really quite the thrill
0: that's awesome so november 3rd through november 6th correct that's it. yep okay. that's right four-day auction 1536 different lots from um halloween movies uh friday the 13th close Encounter of the third kind blade uh batman i'm looking at different pictures throughout this catalog and it's amazing the stuff you have going up for this auction i i know it's yeah. going to be a record breaker
1: we're really happy with the, um, the sort of spread of content. There's lots of different items from lots of different films. There are many items that have never come to market before, so it's nice to see sort of fresh pieces. That's always a good thing for collectors. But I think the big thing for us personally this year at the auction is the fact that it's going to be a live event again. We're going to be at BAFTA. We're going to be at 195 Piccadilly. It's the four-day event. It will start at 3 o'clock each afternoon. There's going to be drinks and food for people who want to come along. But just to do that social side of an auction again after all these years, and all the trouble that we've had. I think that's the thing uh, we're really looking forward
0: to the most. How many people typically show up to do in-person bidding?
1: Uh, It varies. I would say up to maybe 100 people any one time, which is a real high amount. But people obviously come and go during the day. Say normally you've probably got somewhere like 30, 40 people in the room at any sort of one given time. A lot of people, certainly um, older people like, my, like myself, we are certainly into the more traditional ways of bidding. I like to be in the room and failing that, I prefer to be on the phone. That's got to be exciting. Yeah, it's, oh, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, the, the buzz and the energy in an auction room is something you can't replicate online. That is something that is special and I think that's why – people are excited again because that is something that the participants really enjoy. Obviously, sometimes it's frustrating because it means you're going to miss out on something you really wanted to buy, but the energy and excitement and the applause and
0: the cheering um, (laughs) in an auction room is is really quite something. So for people that are interested, there are different options in order to put in bids for this amazing auction. You have in-person, online, Phone bidding and absentee—is that correct? Did that I cover? That is correct. It? Yeah, okay.
1: yeah. The easiest way is to go onto our website, propstore.com. You go to the auction links. They're all they're all over the uh, our homepage there. That'll um, go through the process of first registering for auction and then actually partaking in the sale itself. A lot of people these days just prefer to do things online. They'll place their bids either advance the sale or actually get involved with
0: the live event on the day, which is really exciting. People do have to understand that you have to be pre-approved for this auction, correct? You do.
1: And the the more time you can give us to do that, the better. If you're a new bidder to us, there are some processes that we have to undertake Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure it's all um, done properly. Um, But if you bid with us before, I think the process is a bit easier. But the sooner you can do that, the better. You don't have to rush around at the last minute and worry about whether you're going to have a chance to bid or not.
0: Can you tell me this? What can somebody expect to incur as far as fees in regards to an auction? Because if you bid on it, I'm just looking at this screen, I'm seeing Jason's hockey mask from Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives. What is the fee schedule for your auction house?
1: Okay. So the commission is 25%. There are other sort of tax or duty implications depending on the status of the lot. And obviously over 1,500 lots, there are a few variants. So there are symbols in the catalog that will define if there are any additional fees. Some of the things that come in on temporary import, that sort of situation. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, there's a 25% commission. Uh, If you're bidding through the prop store platform, if you're bidding on the, on the links on the prop store homepage, there are no additional fees. If you're building on one of the supporting platforms, um, they can sometimes charge additional fees as well. So you'll need to check okay. with them.
0: Okay. Got you. Is there any type of payment plan available for this auction?
1: Yeah, that's something as well at Propstore, we're really proud of because, as I say, we we're all collectors originally and uh, having the option to sort of spread the load a little bit has always been helpful, certainly mm. to me over the years. And um, it's appreciated now and it is something that we have been able to take through into our auctions. So there is a three-month payment plan available on every lot. If you're looking for a longer plan on that, sometimes that is possible, but you will need to uh, email us in advance to see if we can work that out. But if you accept that it's a three-month payment plan, that's a deposit and three months, so it's effectively four months, that will be a standard thing for you.
0: Awesome. Well, let's jump into these pieces. I know time is valuable, and you've probably got a full day ahead of you getting ready for this thing. Starting out with lot number 148, Friday the 13th, Jason Lives, C.J. Graham mask. Uh, I see that there. You have it on the table. It's even got the straps on it. I've met C.J. Graham, amazing, amazing guy. It's crazy when you meet so many of these people. And I actually was talking to Brad Lurie last week, who played Michael Myers uh, with that mask right in front of you in Halloween Resurrection? Okay, talking about um, the Jason mask, it came from the collection of Mario Kerner. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so I'm,
1: I'm sure that's a name familiar to you, certainly to most horror mm-hmm. collectors out there. He's kind of the has been the like the archive and the resource of this uh, Friday the Thirteenth stuff for, for some years now, and he's such a passionate guy, such uh-huh. great fun. He he knows every detail about these things. Again, he's done all so much research and interviewed the actors he's interviewed the prop makers and the special effects guys and uh, like you meets the people that wore and use this stuff in the movies too and i love it these guys get you know they may be lesser known actors in the scheme of things but they have this huge sort of cult following as being these amazing
0: horror villains <laughs> why is mario i know that he through the prop store is starting to release a lot of this stuff that's been in his collection for years and years. And I've sold a couple of pieces to Mario back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be sad for me to see these pieces come up on your future auctions, <laughs> but why did he decide to, cause he even has a book. He released a book with his collection. It's so extensive with production material props and wardrobe. It's unbelievable that he's actually letting this stuff go out at auction.
1: I think it's, um, we see occasionally that as you get older, that there are just maybe different things in life. You know, uh, I was speaking to Mario last week, and I, I just literally, he, the impression I got, and I, I'm reluctant to speak on his behalf, mm-hmm. um, but it, I just got the impression that it was maybe he'd just taken it as far as he could. There wasn't much else to acquire. And I think, like most collectors, we're so passionate about the search, the hunt for yeah, this stuff that, you know, there's only a finite amount of stuff left that Mario could possibly uh, obtain. So maybe that's it. Uh, there's also the for me personally, as as I've gotten older, uh, I'm I've become more and more picky about the things I, I want for my own collection. Sure. And maybe, you know, some of the values of this stuff now has made it a conversation that, you know. Do you sell one piece that you can go out and buy two or three more? Um, You know, everybody has their own um, method of of going forward and and exiting the hobby. If they want to do that, even, you know, so many of us just keep going. Well, you know, we'll be buried with this stuff, won't we?
0: (laughs) Exactly. With this mask, I I love the way that what you guys have done with this particular catalog, where you point out different markings that you guys have screen matched that hockey mask. This is part of that, that process because not only do we just
1: say it's screen match, we want to show collectors, whether they're experienced or new, you know, what what it is that matches, what it is that's unique to each piece. And we've really tried this year to make a real effort of showing the screen matches and making it crystal clear to everyone, you know, because sometimes it's really difficult to see the screen match. The machete, actually, which we'll get to later, is a really good example. I was told it's screen match. I was looking at the photos for like 15 minutes, and then um, it was a really small detail that I picked up on. Then I looked at a different photo, and there was – blindingly obvious where the screen match was then a third photo actually showed a different part which matched with screen matching you can literally have a sequence of frames where you can't make out a screen match in frames two three and four but you can in five and then you can't see it in six seven and eight you know it's really difficult like light refraction blur various things most screen matches are a little bit more straightforward most screen matches are are pretty clear for for all concerned
0: I love the amount of detail in this catalog that you guys have done. There was twelve versions of the mask that were created. Eight were used for earlier scenes in the film, while the remaining four featured a bullet hole in the forehead.
1: That's right. Yes, yeah, so you can see that the, the bullet hole there. And uh, you know, again, this a lot of this is Mario's research and the incredible uh, length and detail he went into over the years. For me, this of, of the things on the table, it's, it's a toss up between that or the glove is to is my favorite piece. But I think that hockey mask is so. Iconic. i can't oh. use the word iconic but man that really is something <laughs> that, and the I, fact that it's all battered up as well i think just adds to the appeal
0: i think it's the only word to use to describe this piece <laughs> i think it's, <laughs> it's fantastic good. it comes with a certificate of authenticity signed and credited special effects makeup assistant um William Forsh, is that right? Is that's that, right. Yep. That's great. That definitely shows that it came from the production. It's estimated to go for forty thousand pounds. Yeah, pounds. British pounds, right?
1: Obviously, the exchange rate the way it is at the moment, our government having a lot of fun and games with our economy right now. So, for <laughs> American buyers and probably most European, in fact, probably all around the world, the pound is uh, quite weak at the moment. It's a good time to invest.
0: In yeah, the British. It books. is. Starting bid is twenty thousand pounds. Yep. That's amazing. It's a cool piece though. I think it's, we all agreed. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um the next piece that we were going to talk about is uh 158 Freddy versus Jason 2003 and it's Jason Voorhees Ken Kersinger machete.
1: Right. That's that's right in front of me there in the middle. The pieces you asked me to put on the table here I mean they are as you say there it's a pretty wicked selection of of horror props from you know the last 30 years. And I think the machete, yeah, you know, alongside the mask. If you're if you're fortunate enough to be in a position to purchase both, that would that would be some display. You're killing me, Tim. You're killing me. <laughs> you know you want to, I'm, just, right. I'm pushing, it, I'm pushing it an open door.
0: <laughs> right, right. You know I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage. 76 <laughs> centimeters long. That's a hell of a machete. Yeah, and this thing's metal as well. So I mean, you've got to be a
1: bit careful i mean uh, we're obviously very respectful of it anyway as as an artifact you know it it is the edge isn't sharp but at the same time it it is metal aluminum you have to be a bit careful with it it's it's a lovely thing
0: it's very very cool so production designer John Willette designed the film's machetes and many were made for a variety of different uses and gags. That's right. So obviously if if you're having a fight sequence
1: with um you know close quarters with another actor they'll put a safety blade on that It'd be a rubber blade or even a foam mm-hmm. blade if if they're going to be struck. So different props require different um yeah
0: different scenes require different props. Oh, it's got a bid on it already. At 8,000 pounds, it's estimated to go between 15,000 and 25,000 pounds. Yeah wow that's That's pretty cool again
1: yeah
0: (laughs) it's awesome (laughs) All this Uh, stuff's good i
1: mean i'm gonna i'm gonna get tired of my own voice saying how cool this stuff is
0: are you personally gonna go for anything tim no Uh, we don't
1: or anyways my love for horror goes a um a bit further back in fact there's two pieces in the uh auction from horror films that i really like and they're both clapperboards the uh american werewolf clapperboard and the omen clapperboard oh I think the those omen two are just fabulous yeah
0: yeah the omen that's that's fantastic. you guys have in the past sold some uh omen items that i yes. didn't even know existed anymore
1: yeah the dag we sold the dagger of megiddo last year oh. which um uh, is one of the best pieces i've ever seen i just i thought that that thing was, it really resonated with me. Uh, You know, that was a a horror film that I grew up with and particularly liked. And to see one of those daggers in the flesh, um, that, that was
0: pretty, that was pretty good. That's awesome. Lot 159, Freddy versus Jason, Freddy Krueger's signature glove.
1: Right. Now this, we're going to use that iconic, going to use that iconic word again, aren't we?
0: <laughs> oh yeah! Well, it, these are these are the best of the best. I cannot believe that you guys have all this stuff in one auction. Is unbelievable to me. It is. It is a really nice collection, and we've seen over the last few years that.
1: The interest and demand in horror props, especially kind of, like I say, these props from the last 30 years or so have been, um, you know, we've seen that interest ramp up significantly and um, for it to all come together in one sale like this is is quite
0: special. I think we'll probably look back on this catalog and think it, it was a moment. It's great. This particular piece actually comes with paperwork from New Line Cinema. So when this film
1: came out, New Line Cinema used to hold online auctions and they uh, sold um, assets from a number of things, including Lord of the Rings. At one point, um, it was the early two thousands, and they um, are trying to think Little Nicky and Austin Powers and movies like that. So there's a there's a number of props and costumes out there in in the in the collector world that came directly from New Line Cinema. It's something that's certainly sought after for Freddy versus Jason because a lot of that stuff was sold by New Line. So if you can wow. get the New Line paperwork to go with it, that really is. Uh,
0: Uh, an extra notch on the uh, credibility. Of course, that's great. The display here, it has a base that says Jason versus Freddy, or Freddy versus Jason, rather. Yeah, you have uh, some screen grabs on how it was used in the the production as well. So the
1: blades on this one are like a resin. So again, so they're like, in the scheme of things, they're safety blades. So this is actually likely to be used on screen a little bit more than maybe the Hero one. The Hero one might look a little better and is obviously constructed in a way is is superior you probably find that the safety version of the glove would have been used i'm only speculating uh, but you i would think the safety version would probably be used more often just for freddy's um, own well-being as well as that of the people he's attacking
0: <laughs> so it would have actually been worn by robert england as compared Correct, to Manor. Yes, right. yeah okay. yeah gotcha lot 172 halloween h20 20 years later, Michael Myers' Chris Durand mask. Yeah. This is crazy.
1: Yeah, so I, the, what I love about this and, and all these Halloween is, is obviously the William Shatner story, which I'm sure
0: you're familiar mm-hmm. with, but the, yeah. the whole
1: legacy of that original mask from the John Carpenter film, I find fascinating, and, and it's still so creepy looking. I know they made alterations to the to the Shatner version, mm-hmm. but the fact that um, Captain Kirk is, is still wandering around Uh, terrifying people i think is uh it's really quite fun
0: this is probably my favorite piece in this auction as you look at the detail of this mask it's great it's kind of got like an an extension on the neck yeah like where it was originally cut off but it was just probably to to make sure that why was that i guess i should ask what why was that piece added do you know anything uh, about I'll, that
1: i'll be honest i don't i don't okay. have to stop my
0: head sorry that's <laughs> so great to look it at is uh, yeah out.
1: but what you will find it is that during the filmmaking process a lot of things are improvised and adapted as they go and it, you might find that that was a last minute you know literally a last minute a job on set as, as they're waiting to roll and they need to make an alteration so it just adds to it but, but as you say just looking at it there even in this light it's
0: terrifying Again, I encourage people, if you're into horror movies and if you're fascinated by this stuff, to look at the Prop Store website, to look at this catalog. And if you can afford to, definitely bid on it. Because I'm reading different details. Four different designs were created for the production. The KNB mask, the Stan Winston mask, the Beekler mask, and an unusual-looking CGI mask that was superimposed in one scene.
1: That's right. So this, this one was created by Stan Winston for the oh. reshoots. That's uh, obviously K and B, Oscar winning company in themselves. But so so is Stan Winston. So to have prop makers and special effects makers of that caliber involved in these films just show you, shows you how important these films are. You know, th- these are the top of their trade,
0: making these uh, props and costumes for our entertainment. Such a great piece. That's fantastic. The Halloween H2O mask, Its estimates 20,000 to 30,000 pounds, starting 10,000 pounds. Yeah, and that comes with a Miramax COA, which is worth pointing out as well. That's great. And then I forgot to say about the Freddie uh, Glove it's estimated between 25,000 and 35,000 pounds starting yep. 12,500 it's got one bid already so i yeah. know that's going to go
1: yeah we're starting to see some of those bids come through now you know it tends to ramp up a little bit as we get closer to auction day but obviously there's a big flurry at the end you know yeah. some people place their bids early um, like this and it you know it can scare away the competition and and some people are successful even at this stage ultimately
0: wow uh lot 173 halloween resurrection michael myers bradlery burnt axe mask yeah now this is this is pretty creepy as well Ah, i love it
1: isn't it good isn't it great
0: well and it's great because it's such an easy mask to be able to watch the movie and pause it and say that's the mask
1: yeah so this one featured in one of the alternate endings that you can see on the special features of the dvd Obviously, it, it is sometimes nicer to have something that is, you know, in the main feature. But to mm-hmm. actually find it on screen at all is still a huge, huge positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yep, as you say, you can have your friends around. You put put it on the big screen, hit the pause button, and there it is. You can you can you can see it.
0: And I see in the notes on the catalog it says it was almost identical to the one used in John Carpenter's 1978 original
1: yes i i'll take somebody who knows more about that because i've seen so many various, and the variations are so subtle with these masks for all of these characters as as the films progress and the sequels and prequels come and go a lot of people want to keep you know a lot of the crew that you know the the art department guys want to keep it original and of other course. guys want to make their own little tweaks and and make little nuanced changes to everything to to put their little stamp on it so it is nice to to have something that references The uh,
0: 78 original. Well, I know Don Shanks. He had told me that when he left the set of part five, he had the mask and he never looked back. And they're like, hey, 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 the mask, the mask. And he never looked back. He kept walking. And he has that on his table at different signings that he does. I love it that. (laughs) people keep it you know because obviously we're all collectors
1: we want to own this stuff as well and but it's nice to know that there are other people out there who are involved in the the production of the film and it's not just their nine to five it's not just their day job they think this stuff's
0: cool too and they want to take it home well i think there's an awareness now of the value of these original props that's true i'd heard the story about the original hockey mask from part three of friday the 13th and how whoever had kept it had it exposed to sunlight And so over time, it just basically deteriorated. And that breaks my heart.
1: It does. And and some people obviously are not aware that some of this stuff is very hardy and, you know, you can let the dust fall on it. But, you know, we're all pretty much of the same breed that we want to protect it. It goes into a display case or it gets put away. You avoid sunlight. That's a big one. Uh, Handling stuff physically and sunlight are the two big things you want to avoid. Um, Most other things are uh, pretty reasonable on props and costumes. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it is sad because this stuff, you know, even though there might be multiple versions of any given prop, these are still unique artifacts, and as they start disappearing, that's it. You know, we're not going to get them back.
0: Right, they're done. It's gone. It's that's it's it. sad. It's part of history that's going to be gone. This Michael Myers mask is estimated between eight thousand pounds and twelve thousand pounds. Starting bid is four thousand pounds, and for those interested, it doesn't have a bid yet. So get your oh, bid in go. early
1: potential bargain on the on the cards here <laughs> yeah. compared to the others it, it's suddenly i mean it's a lot of money but it, it, it does seem very reasonable compared to some of the other uh, artifacts on the table here
0: nightmare on Elm 3 part three dream warriors lot number 283 this yep. again we're going to have to use that word again iconic because everybody knows Freddy. they know his claw but then i think the second thing would be a sweater the third maybe the hat you rarely see him without this hat
1: it, that's very true and it, it is I guess it's like Indiana Jones He's got his whip and his hat and you can't mm-hmm. really uh, go together. So this would be nice to keep with uh, some of the other the other parts. Uh, what well, I was thinking when I, was, when I saw this come through is 1987. I remember taking a girlfriend to the cinema to see this one <laughs> and, and see. <laughs> uh, so that's the first thing that came back in my mind. but this is a wonderful piece. this has come from originally from the costume designer camille schroeder and comes with a letter from her as well so so that's a really nice touch of
0: personal information with this one so did you end up marrying that girlfriend that you saw this movie with
1: no she was one i liked but okay no that that one didn't last are (laughs) you married
0: now I am uh, for t- I 24 years, so all don't, good. <laughs> don't, don't tell that story about this. <laughs> you you won't be able to get this in your collection because you're like, is that that, yeah. that that one with that girl that you, that's. Yeah, that, that would be an odd, that would be an odd reason not to uh, obtain a piece of the collection. <laughs> I know how some wives can be. I understand. Those are the pieces that I had asked you to talk about today, but I know that. One of the questions that always comes up, and I was talking to a friend of mine that had come down and visited. He wanted to see my collection. He drove down from Ohio a few weeks ago. And I know that like 20 years ago, the whole collecting of these pieces from film and television, and it has exploded probably beyond most people's wildest dreams. For a long time, it was like you could get horror pieces relatively cheap. And it was the stuff that was unobtainable for most of us was stuff from like, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones. But now it is such a popular hobby. And so what do you tell people that are frustrated? These pieces, these grail pieces for a lot of people, they're going to go really high. And we've seen it from other auctions. So, I mean, what do you say to people to try to keep them encouraged in this hobby it's 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 really difficult because I,
1: I too share that frustration. You know, some mm-hmm. of these some of these pieces now are beyond, you know, most most if it's something that's iconic, and there's that word again, um, <laughs> it tends to be valuable. If you don't need to be told what it is, it is going to be valuable. For that very reason, there's gonna be there's gonna be huge demand for it. And mm-hmm. and we genuinely, you know, we're talking about pieces of our childhood, we're talking about nostalgia, and it can't easily be replaced. You can't substitute this stuff for something else you know can uh, all you can do is is buy the best you can afford you know and and ha- for me sometimes just owning a piece of the movie is enough you don't have mm-hmm. to have the the main character costume or the the main um you know mcguffin prop just having a little piece of the, of the movie is enough just to say that's you know i own a little piece of the of my favorite f- favorite film look to newer films you know the, the, these the films of today which aren't getting much attention will be the Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings of the future. These—it's hard to tell. It's very difficult to know which films are going to stick with a generation. I wouldn't have thought Back to the Future was going to endure the way it has. It is dated somewhat, but people love it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the whole trilogy is wildly popular, and it—and it, to be fair, it stands up. You watch those movies, and and they're as entertaining as they were the day they came out. It's trying to pick those those newer films, and and maybe you know, I don't like to use the word invest because for me it's not about investing. That there are investment implications, Mm -hmm. but really you should buy what you love. Buy something that you really care about. Maybe you go to the the movie theater one night and you you just get quite taken with a movie and you go and find something from that and then keep it for 10 years and and just see if if it's worth more money. But it shouldn't be about that. It should be about uh, collecting it because you want it and then buy what you love and buy the
0: best you can afford. I love that response, Tim. I really do. That's great. I, and I, I, I'll
1: be fair, Mark. I've been saying that for 20 years, 22 but, years. That's always my pat response. But it's honest. It's truthful. It's it, what I always say. If you if you want something from a movie and you've got a choice, just buy the very best thing that's on offer because that will be the very best thing on offer next time as well. And and you know, from a financial point of view, that makes sense. But if you're buying it because you love it, it really doesn't matter what
0: happens to the value. That's true. That's true. And I love the way that you guys design this catalog for people that are interested and say, well, I can't afford, you know, 25,000 pounds for a fedora from Nightmare Elm Street. But if you start to look at this catalog and one thing that you guys have done, and I think you did it on the last catalog and for this auction, as you progress into the higher number lots, you have things that are starting out at a much lower bid that are obtainable for people that are on a modest salary, a modest budget
1: yeah I, and i think it's it was a very deliberate strategy for us we like it it's great you know, it's genius i th- i think it's i think it's fun because you get all the fireworks on day 1 you know with the with the high profile the lots that are, are gaining the sort of publicity most of us will be looking at the the latter days where there are still amazing items in there 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 are, i mean you've looked at the catalog yourself there's some incredible pieces in there at a much more affordable budget We expect as much excitement and interest in those pieces as any of the um, sort of headline
0: props and costumes we have. Of course. When these catalogs come out, when you guys put out your prop store auction catalog, here in the United States, and I don't know over there in Great Britain if this was the case, but we had Sears, and every fall you would get the sears wish book which was the catalog and you flip to the toy section and you immediately start to circle what you wanted santa claus to bring and i think for a lot of children in the united states that was so magical in the 70s and 80s. And now you guys are doing that for me. I'm 51 years old. And my wish book comes when the prop store announces their catalog.
1: Yeah, well, good, good luck having Santa bring this stuff to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't hold your breath.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's probably more trustworthy than some of these delivery companies. Sometimes that, that, that's, that's very true. Yeah, he's pretty reliable Santa, to be fair. <laughs> right, right, right. Tim, you have been fantastic to talk to. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I encourage everybody if you're interested in this stuff, take a look now. Don't wait in order to get approved for bidding because this stuff is awesome. It's got to Yeah, thanks, Mark. Of-
1: that, that is important. Let's let's get get if you're interested, get registered now and then you're all set. You don't have to bid on the day. You know, there's no there's no there's no compunction to do it, and there's no compulsory uh, element to it at all. Just just register to bid. So if you do want to, you can. And if you don't, you can just enjoy watching everybody else uh, have
0: fun, and the registration process is really quick. It's just—it's feeling... pretty
1: simple. It's—it's it's, um there are a few hoops we have to go through in the modern world, you know, with identifying who's who. But um, mm-hmm. it's fairly standard. once you've done it with us once, that's pretty much it for for the next one as well.
0: Okay, well there you go. There you have it, Tim. Thank you so much. Happy My pleasure, Halloween! Mark. It's been great speaking to you. And I hope to be bidding on a few things coming up in November. I'm excited. S- sin- sincerely, man. Good luck. All right. Take care, Tim. You too. And with that, I'm going to close out this program telling you the same thing that I tell you every week, and that is to be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, everybody.